0: Um, yeah yes hopefully it's Duncan Um, let's uh, let's pray and or let's read Matthew 7 starting in verse 7 and then we will pray the scripture says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened or which one of you if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, what a text to read and then to turn to prayer and to talk to you. We thank you that as we survey the religions of the world and we look at all of the false gods which man has created, we find that you are not like the capricious gods of the Greeks who would play tricks on humanity. The kind of kind of God who when we pray to you and ask for an egg you give us a scorpion the kind of God who when we ask for bread you give us a snake the kind of God when we ask for bread you give us a stone we thank you that as Jesus teaches us we see that your character is that you are good and kind and loving and merciful and that knowing our own struggles and tendencies towards sin, Jesus can describe us accurately as evil, even though we do not do wrong all the time, our goodness pales in comparison to yours. And so we pray that that you would help us to see the depth of your character and then to realize that that as we struggle to pray, as we see prayer as a, as a discipline which is difficult sometimes. Because it's so easy for us to accomplish things in our own power and our own strength. I pray that as we, as we hear from your word. That our view of you and your goodness and your willingness and your character and your reliability and all of those things, that they would be expanded. And that we would be encouraged and left in awe by that goodness and by that willingness. Father, help us to understand your word because it's good. As Moses said, there is, this is no empty word for you. It is your very life. And Jesus, the bread of life, came to give us the words of life. And so we want to hear it, believe it, receive it, and live in it, because it's good. We pray your blessing on our time in the word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are in Matthew 7, looking at the passage that, that we just read, next week when we come back, we'll pick up in verse 12, and then we will, over the next couple of weeks, work to the end of the chapter, verse 29. But we have hit the thematic end of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? We've, we've worked through this in, in a couple different stages. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 was a while ago, and then we went back to Matthew chapter 6, and now we're back at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is laying out here uh, what the character of the people of God looks like. What does it look like as God? breaks into a world ruled by sin where death has reigned. He's going to send his Messiah to die on the cross for sinners. That's every single human, so that they may, for the first time, experience true forgiveness of sins, true righteousness. The Spirit dwells in these believers. He will say of John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all of the men who preceded him but that the least of those in the kingdom is greater than John. Why? Why are they greater? Because the Spirit actually lives in them. That's us. What is their moral character supposed to look like as the Spirit spreads through the world? That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is hitting the, the last thematic topic of the sermon here. And as he moves from, from verse 12 to the end of verse 27, he's gonna be delivering some warnings to the people, saying, make sure you stay on the path, make sure you hear what I'm saying, make sure you write these words on your heart. Um, and, but, but so, so that's next, this is the, the last subject in the sermon. If we look back, there are, there are messages about how we correct others, There are messages about how we uh, judge others, there are messages about anxiety, about where we store up treasures, where we look at things, how we fast, how we pray, how we give to the needy, how we love our enemies how we retaliate when someone has been uh, terrible to us, how we deal with our anger, the fact that we are salt and light, and all of these statements at the very beginning of the sermon about what it means to live the blessed life, what it means to live under the constant smile of God, as Spurgeon said. So the conclusion of the sermon arrives, I believe if you were standing there and you thought you understood what God's will was for your life, that Jesus just dumped a pile of bricks on you. Wow, this teaching is intense. At the end of the the passage of Matthew 7, it says the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Because he wasn't teaching like their teachers taught them. Their teachers would say, well, Moses said this, And then this rabbi said that, and we believe that that means that God wants this. No, Jesus was just saying, this, folks, is the way it is. Speaking as a prophet, he is the son of God, and he's speaking as God's mouthpiece. And they were astonished. So he has come at them with this this powerful package of teaching. And so he concludes on this subject. He has laid out a standard. That very few, if any, can live up to. And now he tells them, you must pray. You must pray in order to see this grow and come true in your life. The amazing thing about prayer is I believe many Christians struggle with it in part because they see things in scripture about the promises of God related to prayer and then they struggle praying and seeing things happen in their life it seems like there are there are things in the scripture where Jesus says whatever you ask in my name it will happen and then we pray and the thing that we have asked in his name does not happen and so we think, does prayer really work? Well, Jesus is going to address this question in this passage. One of the things that scholars have noticed about Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels is this, that the most pervasing and pervasive and prevalent teaching on prayer that Jesus delivers to his people, the, the recurring message about prayer is this, your prayers will be heard by God and he will answer them you will be heard and they will be answered that's amazing given the fact that many of us i believe at our core think i have prayed for things and they have not come to pass how does this work look at what jesus says as he as he builds out this passage and let's come to to a place where as we're as we're going through this this series of messages in Matthew 7, we're seeing that 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 a, a, a topic that we think we have mastery of leads to a right turn, right? There's a there's a, a transition, and suddenly what Jesus is talking about appears different. Our perspective has been off, and when we embrace what he is promising us, we see his kingdom grow and come into being into our world. And prayer is the same way. Okay, so verse seven, look at what it says. The the promise that shows up here, here is the promise. The promise is God always says yes. Isn't that amazing? God always says yes. Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There is no maybe in those statements. We might think, well, of course there are conditions. Look at what Jesus does. Verse 8, there is the promise, ask and it will, seek and it will, knock and it will. The promise has a promised result in the next verse. Verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened there is no maybe and if we thought well maybe there's a maybe in verse 7 like maybe there's maybe there's some conditions attached to this to this answering of prayer maybe there's some wiggle room where it's like you know operators uh, are, are experiencing an unusually high call volume and can't get to answer your prayers for the next 15 or 25 years right maybe that's that's what we're we're thinking like there's a condition there no he repeats himself again Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it is opened to him. Always, yes, always. The most pervasive teaching that Jesus teaches on prayer is this. If we pray, it will be heard. So, why do we pray? James, the brother of Jesus Says this If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will guaranteed be given to him. God answers the prayer for wisdom with a yes. He then conditions answers to prayer by saying this in James 4, verse 2 You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have moving to the subject of prayer, because you do not ask. He's talking about our passions and our heart and our focus. You don't have from God because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why do we receive a no or a non-answer to our prayers when we pray, when Jesus guarantees that the answer of God to our prayers is is that he will hear and say yes why do we receive negative answers or why doesn't God do things James says we do not have because we do not ask if we give up on prayer then we certainly will not receive what we don't ask for second we don't have because we ask with selfish motives and I believe this is the hinge of this passage on prayer this is the the turning point we so often give up on prayer because our desire is for something which God would not and will not give us because it is not good for us and that's difficult because we think we know what's good for us Now, I want to point out that there is a parallel to this passage in the book of Luke that backs up the idea of what's, what's going to be said here. If you look at verse 11, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Well, I prayed and I asked that we would have financial security. I prayed and I asked that God would cure me of cancer. I prayed and asked God to heal my parent. I prayed and I asked God that she would say yes when I asked her to marry me. I prayed and asked that you that would change the circumstance at work, that God would do this, 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 and this. And those answers did not come. So how can Jesus promise that good things will be given to those who ask? how is this true? Listen to the parallel in the Gospel of Luke. I don't think it's unfair to go over to Luke and say, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Because he, he, he probably repeated this teaching um, more than once. The gifts are not just things. They're spiritual gifts. Look at what Luke says in 11.13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, right? Same sentence. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Interesting. One of the reasons why we do not see answers to our prayers is this. And I believe that we have all prayed this way. We, we lose the focus and the fire at times and we come to prayer And we are seeking to warm our worn-out heart that has focused on so many things and is, is full of distraction and confusion at times. And we come before God, and we worship him, and we say, God, you're good. And then we move into prayer thinking these are all the things that need fixing. God, will you fix these things? And we fail to consider what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33 when he's discussing anxiety and all the things that we need. He says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then all the things, all of the good things, all of the spiritual things that we truly really need will be added to you to us. If you look at the requests here in verse nine, right? Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, ask, it will be given, seek, you will find, knock, it will be opened. And then he repeats that again so that we know that he's, there's no maybe factor there. He then goes to this example. (coughs) Which one of you, if your son asks you for bread, which of you would hand him a stone? If, if your son asks For a fish, would you give him a serpent? We'll talk more about a serpent in just a second. If you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The things that the Son asks for are things that are needful and important, not luxuries. Our natural desires often compete with the the things that we truly need and God's will for us. When we pray in a way that, that comes underneath this heading here of ask and you will, seek and you will, knock and it will, we are not praying for selfish ends, but we are always praying for the glory of God and for kingdom concerns. We are praying for righteousness, for sincerity, for humility, for purity, for a heart that overflows with a love like God's, for daily bread to survive, not for rich, overflowing comfort, peace, and personal prosperity. The gifts that we pray for when we pray in a way that is consistent with the will of God, they are given to us if sought earnestly through prayers. That's the promise of the Sermon on the Mount on prayer. God always says yes. That's what Jesus teaches. Second, God is always good. God is always good. If you look at back at the antidote to worry in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 through 34 where Jesus preaches this passage on anxiety what Jesus frames the entire idea of anxiety he frames it with this issue that, that God is good, he knows what we need, and he gives to us what we need, and the Gentiles, those who are outside of, of the kingdom of God, those who don't understand God's promises to his people, they worry because their gods make no such guarantees. Their gods are not good, they do not have their best interest, and so naturally they worry, but those who understand the God who calls himself I am, the God who created the world, the living God. They know that God's goodness is what frees them from worry. People, sinful by nature, and yet, loving of their children, desiring what is best for them, are able to bring themselves to do good things, right? We believe in the sinfulness of humanity, but that doesn't mean that we believe that everybody's out there doing the most awful things that they can all do all the time, right? No, we, we, have, we, we display goodness, particularly we display goodness towards our own tribe, right? We love our tribe, and sometimes we love them to the exclusion of, of other tribes, right? You know, we're, we're like, touch my kids, and I'll mess you up, right? You know, that's our, that's our attitude. We love our own, though. So what, what Jesus is pointing out here is that though we are self-seeking and self-centered, we can push that off for our own children's benefits. And so he gives this example, speaking of the goodness of God. Comparing it to the goodness of a father towards a child, which of you, if your son says, "Dad, can I have a piece of bread?", would give him a stone? Now, um, the uh, the the Zambia team is either uh, gonna gonna break bread tonight or tomorrow morning on these things that they call. Biscuits, right? Uh, and and a biscuit is a round piece of bread. It's about this big. It's smaller than an English muffin, right? And it, it it if you if you look at them in a pile and you didn't know like that's bread, you might think it was a bowl full of rocks. Seriously, they're they're small. They're, it's bread there that they serve doesn't come in loaves. It's like they they cut them out of the 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 rolled out dough and then they bake them over charcoal in an open fireplace and that's what you eat with breakfast right what kind of a weirdo would say to their kid when their kid right i mean you know how much dentistry costs right you know you'd you'd be like oh hey kid you want some bread here chew on this and then they bite into that rock and maybe chip their teeth and they're like daddy why and daddy's like <laughs> like who does that? Who does that? And when the kid asks for an eel, I mean, uh, for a fish, which, which parent would say, uh, here's an eel, right? You know, an eel is something that comes out of the water that looks like a snake, a, a water kind of a snake, but under the law, it's unclean. What parent would, would give their kids something that would defile them in the eyes of God? Something that they shouldn't be eating Something that would, would ruin them. Who would do that? The answer, of course, is no one. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus adds one more example where he says, Which child, uh, or which parent, when a child asks for an egg, would give them a scorpion? Uh, scorpions aren't all black like they are in cartoons. Some of them are, are brownish or whitish in some regions of the world. And a, a curled up scorpion could be passed off to an unsuspecting child as an egg. What kind of twisted mind would do that, Jesus is saying. Parents don't play malicious tricks on their kids. And those who do and film it and put it on Facebook right, are met with a flood of public outcry and comments saying, what is wrong with you people? right?" And so they prove that they are the exception to the rule, what is acceptable to humanity. We see and we feel cruelty of of parents to children, and we react with a deep sense of, of feeling that that is wrong. We don't trick our children into biting stones. We don't conspire to get them bitten by snakes or stung by scorpions. What is Jesus saying here about God's character? He says this, when you come to him in prayer, praying, For that which seeks his kingdom and his righteousness, receiving his holy standard and saying, yes, God, that is good and right. And I am sinful and weak and I fail to live up to your standard. Would you please shape me, change me? fit me to live in a way that is worthy of your kingdom even though I am not worthy of it even though it is the righteousness of Christ that makes me acceptable before you but you gave it to me because you have great love for me when we pray those kinds of prayers this is what Jesus wants us to know that we ought not fear that God will try to play some kind of weird trick on us Or that somewhere his character is so filled with hardness and grit that he will just make us endure and struggle without what we need most. Persistence isn't necessary to overcome some unwillingness in God. Look at what the passage says again, verse 11. If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Think about the love and the care and the devotion that you have to your children and how you want the best for them. God's care is far more than the best possible parental care that you could offer to those children and it's never less than that. Never. And yet I believe that that because of our own interactions with humanity and our our own disappointments with others who we have depended on, we take those defects and we bury them in our conscience and we protect ourselves and caution ourselves and protect ourselves and we then project these things onto god and we say that's his character he couldn't possibly really truly be that good jesus says he is so don't fear he's not unwilling second don't fear he's not going to put you off by giving you a shabby or a dangerous substitute Parents do not give what is dangerous and disappointing to their children when they're asked for what is wholesome and nutritious and good for them. Yes, at times, toddlers say, I want chocolate for dinner, right? And then wicked, evil parents say, no, you will get diabetes, right? You will be sick you will throw up all over your bedroom carpet, and we will have to clean it up in the middle of the night. And kids say, you are horrible, wicked, tyrannical, awful parents. And what do parents do? They, What? Right, yeah. You know, we, we respond by giving our children what they need and by not giving in to the tyranny. Even though parents are evil, self-centered sinners, they don't give what's dangerous and disappointing to their children when asked for what is wholesome and nutritious. But God will deny our requests for that which is not good for us. When you think about the, uh, the context in which Jesus was, was preaching and teaching, the, the Greek world had invaded the, the Jewish homeland. They were under Roman rule, and so all of the Greek legends and stories were there. There's a story uh, in Greek mythology about a goddess, Aurora. She fell in love with a human being called Tithonus. Which probably isn't a very like appealing name now, but maybe it was like a a fashionable, uh, cool name back then. Aurora falling in love with Tithonus, right? She she appealed to Zeus and said, "I wish that our love could remain forever and that he would never die." and Zeus granted that request and said yes but you know what she didn't ask for she didn't ask that he would remain forever young and so he grew older and older and older and older but remained alive Jesus is pointing out to a culture that had heard these stories a culture like ours as well that that worries about the character of God that God is good and his goodness towards us surpasses anything that we could possibly imagine God's care is far better than the best human parental care but it is never less than the best it's never less than the best parental care you may struggle with the goodness of God because of some defect that you see in your human parents or because of of some defect that you see in your own character, some tendency or some struggle, and you think God couldn't possibly be better. Jesus says, do not fear. He is better than you can imagine. He is always good. So Jesus' teaching is God always says yes, and second, that God is always good. But third, we must realize when we pray that God is always concerned with relationship. And this, I believe, is the, the right turn that we make that, that should alter and affect the way that we pray and our thinking about prayer. Prayer is always about relationship. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44 and 45. He says, I say to you, love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The idea here is that that those who follow Christ, those who put their faith and trust in the living God, understand his Way and his will and his righteousness, and are growing and being transformed and changed into his likeness over time. So that it would be true what's said often of of me and and my children. People will say, Oh, like father, like son. You know, like you can see the, the similarities in action or in likes and dislikes and preferences, right? They're like you chips off the old block people say things like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree right when we pray we pray not to a machine that answers our requests and meets our every single desired need but we pray to a father who has adopted us as his children and brought us into his family by his grace and his love. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God has appeared and it brings salvation to all men. The good news of the gospel is that is that people who are unacceptable in God's family, who, who by their nature and their deeds have no reason to think that they're acceptable to God, can come to him, repent of their sins, say, I have sinned against you, and I don't deserve to be your child, but God says, I forgive your sins, I put your sins on Christ, I give you the purity of the Holy Spirit, and I adopt you into my family as a child. That's the way the grace of God works. But the grace of God that's appeared, bringing salvation to all men, the scripture says, it instructs us It teaches us to deny ungodliness and all wickedness and to live in a way that that pleases and honors God. So grace not only saves us and forgives us and makes us righteous, but grace teaches us to act like the sons of God. Grace teaches us. So we see in verse 45 that we're to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us so that we may be, so that you may be, Jesus says, sons of your Father who is in heaven. Sons not by acting in a specific way and then earning the right to the relationship, but saved by grace and once saved by grace, being sons in character imitating our father flowing out of who we are that our character is like his okay these commands in matthew 7 verse 7 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you are in a tense called the iterative tense right that means ask not once but keep on asking Every parent's nightmare, right? Mom, 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 mom. Like, I'm on the phone. Hang up. That's not the way God treats us. Dad, 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 dad. What? You know, can I go outside? Of course you can. Like, when have we ever said no? Unless it's raining. Like, go, be gone. Cease with the constant calling of dad. Don't do that. But no, God says this. There's a, you can translate this passage this way, though nobody does because people, you know, being into their translations would not buy a Bible that says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, but you could translate this passage this way why the persistence we've already seen that jesus has taught that it's not necessary to overcome some unwillingness in god or or that that he'll get irritated with us and give us a shabby substitute instead we are told to keep on asking keep on knocking keep on seeking because our human nature is to receive what we asked for from the gift giver and then to receive the gift as if that is the thing, and then to forget the giver. I hadn't planned on talking about him, but my, my nephew, Nathan, um, who my children are laughing, because since Nathan was born, I've, I've said, you and I, Nathan, we're best friends. We are best friends. Come here, Nathan, give your best friend a hug. Nathan never wanted to have anything to do with me, ever. <laughs> ever, ever. And so I'd always be like, Nathan, what's up, man? High five. You know, and he'd be like, hide behind his dad when he was little and stuff. You know, I'd be like, Come here, let me pick you up. You know, when 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 he eventually has to go for counseling when he's older, it'll probably be. <laughs> because Uncle Keith tormented him. But but, but this is the thing. It's like, it's like, hey, I have your birthday present. And I'd be like, I ain't giving it to you until you give me a hug. <laughs> and I'll tell you, there were times where he was like, okay. you know, and off he went. <laughs> but this is, this is the, the feeling that, 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 that welled up inside of me. It's like, you just want the thing, right? You don't have any time for your uncle. Now, We've gotten past this, and now we truly are best friends. Um, It's true. Jesus. (laughs) Laugh of contempt from my wife. Jesus Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 18.1 a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who didn't fear God or respect man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, right? That's that that principle of judge, 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 judge. Like, leave me alone. Here, I'll do what you ask. And then Jesus transitions and he says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But then he says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Why does he end it that way? Because the human tendency is to ask a good God for what we need and then to receive the gift and to leave God behind. To think that what we really need is just enough finances to pay this bill and so we pray earnestly and and God comes through for us and then we forget him or to to pray for a spouse or a spouse for our children or for a healthy pregnancy or for a good trip or for a gospel opportunity or all these things we pray and then we forget that God gave those things to us. And we substitute the benefit from the relationship for the relationship itself. Why does God delay the answer? Because we, as limited, fallen, in Jesus' terms, evil human beings, we must learn that praying is not just coming to a machine to have our needs met, but it is appealing to a father who, when he responds, we are to say, thank you, you are good that is what we most need to learn is that what we need is not God's benefits but God himself right one of the most important verses in in my understanding of the scripture is Ephesians 6 10 be strong in the Lord right and and the response sometimes when I'll say to someone hey be strong in the Lord it's like I'm trying no no read on be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might right That, that we need God, first and foremost, that we need our Heavenly Father to fill us with the power of the Spirit, that what we need is not the Spirit's benefits and blessings, but the Spirit himself. What if, when you get to heaven one day, you find out that the word translated mansions in the King James Version, which is probably better accurately translated rooms, is actually translated rooms and you don't have a palatial mansion with lots of cars and swimming pools and refrigerators full of food and you know whatever 75 inch plasma screens all over the place what if you get to heaven and all there is is a place for you and god will you be disappointed When we substitute the gifts for the giver, we lose the point. And so God teaches us to pray with this persistent coming to him so that when we receive what we have prayed for persistently, when we ask and ask and ask and ask and he gives it, we will say thank you. And not wonder, like, well, maybe that was, maybe I earned that money or closed that deal because of my business prowess and not prayer. Maybe prayer worked. Maybe I worked, right? We'll know that it was God who gave it to us. We must ask persistently because of relationship. We must seek with earnest sincerity. The Jews who had been taken off of their land because of their wickedness and sinfulness, God told them, if you don't repent, I will remove you. And he told them over and over again. And they survived on their land for, for some uh, hundred years after the northern kingdom was taken away. When they were out in captivity, Jeremiah speaks to them. You know, two verses over from the verse that lots of people know from Jeremiah 29:11 right, you know, the verse that says, I know the plans that I have for you, right, that's, they're not sitting there with that on their mug, drinking it, comfort, you know, in their, in the comfort of their own home, like, we are on God's land, you know, we're blessed, no, they were in captivity, slaves to Babylon, when God told them, he was telling them this, so that they wouldn't completely and utterly despair, I know the plans that I have for you, I'm going to bring you back to your land, but not, he says, before they sought him persistently we must seek with an earnest sincerity jeremiah 29:13 says this you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I believe one of the great tragedies that we encounter as American Christians is we have so much, we have so many blessings, we can go so many places, we can do so many things, we can interact with so many people, we can purchase so many goods that our poverty, our, 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 our richness, erasing our poverty has removed our need for dependence upon God's blessing. And our perceived prosperity masks our real deep spiritual needs. And so many of us feel empty in the the deepest place. But we we mask it and kill it with all of our activity. And we don't turn that on to God and say, I need you. That is what will fill me. I I have a thirst and a hunger that cannot be Filled with what the world has to offer. I need you. And then we must knock. We need to ask, we need to seek, we need to knock. We need to actively and diligently pursue God's way and God's standard. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that, that what's being said here is, I need to be perfect. I need to have everything right. I need to have everything figured out and then God will answer my prayers. No, we need to come to him asking, seeking and then when we knock we're saying, God, I love you. I need you. I am thankful to you. I want you to shape me and change me. I want you to to, to change my heart into one that is sincere. I want you to purify me. I want you to change my loving nature. I want to, to move from being so self-focused to being other-focused. Move my heart to love my enemies. Move my heart to love your righteousness instead of my own standards. We need to take it and seize it. Matthew 11, 12 Jesus speaks about the character and the the passion and the standard of John the Baptist. And he says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. One of my Puritan heroes, Thomas Watson, says we must run to the door of heaven He's not talking about being saved here. He's talking about our our Christian life and our character. He says we must bang on that door and say, let me in, change me. Because here's the human tendency. The human tendency is to be moved with a a fit of love for an enemy and to say, I've done it. I've arrived. I've, I've become what I'm supposed to be. And then to fall away and to think that we achieved it by our own righteousness God separates us from the answer to our prayers with a barrier that we will be able to acknowledge that he is the one who did it he is the one who changed us he is the one who transformed us we did not do it ourselves and that's why prayer is difficult that's why answers seem slow in coming If you look at nature documentaries, you look out in the wild, and and there are a lot of of animals that are what scientists call precocious, okay? We use precocious to to speak about children who are like amazingly intelligent. Like, oh look at them, they know how to use a computer and they're two, or they can say all the names of all the presidents that have ever existed. Like, that's amazing. And then we say, what a precocious child. When it's applied to animals, precocious means like the baby alligator hatches and knows all about being an alligator, right? It's like rawr, like ready to attack the moment it emerges. The baby turtles, right, they're born on the beach and they pop up out of the sand and they're like, I must swim and eat and go. And and then the documentary guy says, you know, many of them will not survive apart from the protective care of their mother. And we think, oh, poor baby turtles they're not wired that way. They're just like, I gotta go be a turtle. That's the way that they think. Human beings are not like that. We are born into the world immobile, unable to care for ourselves, unable to change ourselves, unable to move, unable to feed ourselves, and this is a parable of what our spiritual life is like. We never grow out of our need for God. God trains us this way because ultimately what we need is God, not his gifts. We need him. He is not unaware or unsympathetic or unconcerned about our needs. But we need to be in a place when we come to him in prayer that we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness to be made manifest in us so that we will recognize prayers being answered. The good news, God always says yes. God is always good. Prayer is always focused on relationship. And that means that God is always God. He is true to his nature. He's not a reluctant stranger who needs to be bullied into giving his gifts. He's not a malicious tyrant who takes joy in tricking us or in in giving us things that we don't want or in tormenting us. He's not... On the other hand, what we most desire, which is an indulgent grandpa, right? Who we're like, grandpa, can I have a thousand dollars? And he's like, sure, for what? And we're like, I don't know, just because. And he's like, ear. You know, parents are sitting back like, grandpa, no. You know, go have fun. That's not God. But in our innermost being, that's what we want from him so often. He graciously, willingly bestows the specific gifts of the kingdom in answer to prayer. And so what kind of prayers ought we to be praying? What kind of focus ought we to have on his righteousness and his glory if we expect to receive yes answers from a good God? Well, we ought to pray, as the sermon says, for love of enemies and not just for our own tribe. We ought to pray for secret righteousness, not one that earns praise, but a secret righteousness for its own sake. That's Matthew 6.1. We ought to pray for a secret giving that says, I give, Father, out of love for you and not to achieve influence or to be seen giving by others. That's Matthew 6.2. Secret prayer that says, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray not so that other people will think I'm spiritual or mature but because I want to be with you and I want to be like you. Secret fasting that says I want you and no one else. That's Matthew 6, 16. A renewed heart. Change me first, Lord. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, is your treasure God himself? And then Matthew 6:33, the pursuit of kingdom righteousness. In search of true reward, God himself and transformed character. These are the things which God guarantees a yes answer to when we pray. And so let's come to him Focusing on the fact that prayer is for relationship. Now, this doesn't mean don't pray that somebody would be healed. Don't pray that somebody would find true love. Don't pray that somebody's broken heart would be healed. Those things are not exclusive to to prayer. We can pray for that. But when we get an answer other than what we prayed for, we can't say that God doesn't say yes. Because what he guarantees is character change and the gift of himself to us. That's what he always says yes to. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we, as we draw to a close, we're thankful for the good news of the gospel. We don't have to come to you and beg you, beg you, beg you to give us what we need because you gladly give it to your children. Father, help us to discern between what we desire and want and what we truly need. Help us to come to you on that basis and not on the basis of just presenting you with a list rapid fire and then running away as if you are not the most important being in the universe. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, who cannot say in the deepest place of their heart that they are your child, I pray that you would help them to see their need. And to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the answer to their sins. The righteousness that you give. Father, we ask that we as a church would grow deep in prayer. A prayer that glorifies you and lifts up your kingdom and your righteousness. And that exalts and glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.